Hey everyone, welcome back to On Campus with Miss T. I'm your host, Miss T. And I'm your co-host, David. And today we are here with our friend Heber. How are you, Heber? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, uh, both of you. I appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for joining <laughs> us. All right. So to start us off, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do for a living? Sure. Yeah. So, hey, everyone. Um, my name is Heber Miguel, um, but uh, I go as Heber Michaels, and I'll explain that later. Um, at the moment, I am the co-founder and CEO of Camino Care. At Camino Care, we're paving a new path to preventative health and wellness. I'm also a Portland native. Um, I was born here in Portland, Oregon, and I lived here my whole life. I'm a first-generation college graduate. Um, first in my family to attend college and graduate. Um, I attended Portland State University, and I studied economics and business management there. Um, in addition to Camino Care, uh, I run another startup called Smarter Management, and I also sit on the board of a nonprofit called IBEA, uh, which I started back in college. And yeah, that's pretty much who I am. That's awesome. I yeah. didn't know all that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of things going on there, man. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of fun. Do you want to explain the Michael thing? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, you know, being Latino, um, uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of people can relate. Um, we've experienced this biases or uh, even discrimination um, with regards to our names. Um so with me, it came with uh, cold emails. And yeah, every time I would send a cold email with Heber Miguel, it, it would get read, but there would there would be no replies or it would just be unread. Um, but, you know, I started hearing a story of this other guy named Jose, I think his name was Jose Garcia or something. Uh, he changed his name to Joe or Joey Garcia. And I was reading the story and how and this guy was applying for a job. So he was applying for a job and no one would call him with the name Jose Garcia. But once he put Joey Garcia, like he automatically got like a hundred people calling him. So I'm like, you know, I was kind of inspired by that. So I tried that with my last name, you know, instead of Miguel Michael Michaels. Um, and I did see a 30% increase on email reads and response. So after that, I'm like, you know, forget it. I'm going to use this. Um, for, for free emails and, and it worked. Uh, the funny thing is that my, my co-founder, I think you've both met him, um, Nick, Nick Morgan. Yeah. His, his last name, his real last name is Sanchez, Nick Sanchez. Yeah. And he was married once, um, to the lady, uh, her name was Morgan and he took on her last name and the same story where he couldn't find a job in 2006 because of the swine flu, which everyone was saying it came from Mexico. Um, and same exact thing where, you know, he was able to knock down, uh, nail down some jobs. So yeah, that's... I, um, that kind of came up when I first started uh, applying as a software developer. Mm -hmm. Like um, the, the one white guy in our cohort, Mm -hmm. job right away in a nice job nice paying gig wow. what the heck you know and he wasn't yeah. even like the best developer i would say in the class out of eight of us mm -hmm. but we were just yeah. like, the heck why do you get his last second like, why do you get the job so quick and so like a good job 
And then my friend pointed out it's because his last name. I was like, what? Like, it made sense because the rest of us were um, ethnic. Ethnic, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I was like, damn. Like, that, that sucks. Is, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> I learned about that. Like that was that was five years ago. For me, mm-hmm. my last name has actually been a plus because <laughs> mm-hmm. no one can ever tell where my last name is from. Yeah. So maybe that's why they're not as biased towards it or something but in high school i remember i applied to um granada hills high school and it's kind of like a prestigious high school or whatever it's a public school still but it's like a nice school and um i had to apply through um open enrollment for the magnet program and so i applied and my friend also applied and she was like way smarter than me like she had way better grades but I guess her last name was kind of like common and my last name, my last name is Tena. And so Mm -hmm. I guess it's not very common. Nobody really knows where it's from. And so they ended up picking me instead. (laughs) Nice. Could have been that. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot who was telling me that. Cause I didn't know that's how they picked me. And then somebody like, it was like somebody that works for like, the, the school and that's like their department they were like oh yeah that's probably why they picked you because your last name sounded more like different than than hers <laughs> I was like that sucks yeah. I mean it was good for me I guess but, that's it. but yeah. anyways so that sucks that you have to change your last name to Michael's <laughs> you didn't legally change not legally just... no, not legally it's my email and my uh, social medias for, for the moment, yeah. I should try that. Imagine you get like a bomb. So my understanding. So my belief with that is, yeah. is, is that there, it's just biases, right? Because once you get in the door, I don't think they care so much because I don't think a lot of these people are that racist, but I think it's that, yeah, I mean, that subconscious bias. Then I have a super Mexican last name. Rodriguez. Yeah, you know? Rodriguez. <laughs> what would you change it to? I don't know. Rodriguez. <laughs> I have to think something like in between, you know, nice little. In between. <laughs> So they're not completely thrown off when they see me in person or something. <laughs> on my last name. Oh, yeah, like Nick. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah, anyway, so let's talk about Camino Care. And, uh, yeah, do you want to tell us a little bit about what Camino Care is and how it's different from other health resources that people might find out there? Sure, yeah. So uh, Camino Care, as mentioned, we're focused on preventative health and wellness. Um, And we, at the moment, we're highly leveraging video chat and virtual consultations uh, via our mobile app. Um, Before this, before COVID, we did in-home visits, which means that our providers would go to people's homes. But obviously, because of COVID, um, we had to adapt and uh, iterate. So now we're all online. Um, We have nine different categories. Um, body work, cosmetology, dental health, diet and nutrition, functional health, maternal health, mental health, um, physical health and well-being. 
Uh, those are the nine categories. And within those nine categories, we have uh, different type of providers. Um, yeah, people usually use our, our application to book the visits and everything's done via our mobile app. Um, so yeah, that's what it is. And how we differ from traditional health care services um, is uh, in three areas. Uh, I think the first one is that we're preventive care focus. Um, the second one is that we're more personal. We don't believe in the one size fits all model that traditional healthcare emphasizes. And lastly, we're all tech-based. So like I mentioned, we want to do everything through the mobile app, you know, everything, the visits, notes, the charts, everything we want to have in the mobile app. Yeah. That'd be cool, yeah. yeah that's cool. Usually like you have to either like, request them or they have to email you, you know, the notes or anything they told you. So yeah. I can say that yeah. handy for sure. And then every time yeah. we go into like a doctor's office for an appointment, I always come out with like 30 pages of like stuff that they want yeah. me to do or like notes that they took and stuff. I'm like, what That's do true, I do yeah. with this? <laughs> like shredding. Yeah. So that would be good sure. having everything on the app. Yep. Yep, yep. And yeah, I think if I could dive deeper into those areas if you guys would like me to. Mm, I don't know. Up to you, I guess. For yeah. me, I kind of want to ask more mm -hmm. or i guess inquire more about like the whole one-on-one -on -one aspect to it and then mm -hmm. i know before you said that people would go into your house to mm -hmm. do the appointments yep. can you kind of explain how that process works I guess? the the in-home or yeah the personalized the and the personalized um, okay yeah yeah so for example uh the in-home visits I guess, let me see how I can explain this. So, so I can start with the, the personal first and then go into the home visits and how they tie in together. I think it would make it easier for people to understand. So so with the personal, I always like to share uh, a story of like one of our clients or one of our patients um, that used our application and her name's uh, Maria. You know, so, so Maria, she worked here in Hillsborough, Oregon at a nearby field. and. She was a very hard worker and she still works very hard, but uh, she, her English is limited because um, she's an immigrant. Um, and on top of that, uh, this lady didn't have um, papers, papeles, so she was undocumented too. So for her to get these healthcare services were extremely hard. Um, and she didn't go to doctors unless it was life or death, you know. She didn't understand the system. It was very complex. So she was one of the people that got left out by the system. and. Too. You yeah, very... people end up doing that. They just kind of hold off until they feel like it's like really an emergency, and then they go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and that's that's part of the diagnostic process. It's, it's just all of healthcare right now. It's all a lot of it is diagnostic, which means like you mentioned, it, like they don't go to the doctors until they're sick or until they're they're injured or until it's too late. Um, yeah. So yeah, with Maria, uh, her name that was her name. Um. She she found that she was at risk of diabetes, um, and uh, she wasn't expected to live past the age of fifty five because, you know, the diabetes was pretty pretty um, high in her life at that moment. And yeah, so for her, she had a hard time finding services. At this point, when she realized that she had an issue, she obviously went to the doctor's house, and that's how she found out. 
um, she was recommended, you know, certain diets that were not part of her cuisine. For example, they were recommending her whole foods, whole grains, uh, tofu, potatoes, uh, things that that she wasn't used to eating. Um, you have to imagine this lady. She had frijoles, arroz, tortillas in her in her pantry. You know, different. That's that, that's what that's what we mean by personal. This that that's the one size fits all healthcare, like where the doctor is Caucasian, and since they're not very culturally aware, uh, for this lady they were just recommending her based on what was in their guidelines, and it wasn't making a difference. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that that's that's where the whole personal come with, with our application. What she's able to do is she's able to connect with a provider. And also culture, she's able to choose someone that speaks Spanish first. Uh, she's able to choose a, a provider that understands the cuisine. And when it when it came to the in-home visits, uh, the nutritionist uh, was able to come to her home and teach her how to cook healthier stuff with the ingredients she was already used to. So now um, this provider is teaching her how to cook healthier. Is teaching her new foods and on top of that it is keeping her accountable so she can um, reverse that diabetes she had type 2 diabetes so she can reverse it and that's that's something new that wasn't being done before in this industry or in healthcare and that's something where we introduced but then COVID hit and it became difficult but th that was the path we were in that nice. sounds awesome. Yeah, sounds like a really good idea. Yeah. Makes sense. And it is a, like a very prevalent issue because even like, like I'm a teacher, right? And we work mm -hmm. with the families a lot. Of the and yeah. with us, we have like nurses come into the classroom and they do like kind of checkups with um, with the kids, like the dentist comes in or like, oh, nice. types and weights and like ear mm -hmm. hearing tests and vision tests and stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. But usually that's one of the things that like parents tell us a lot is like, well, we went to the doctor and they said like about this or that, but we don't know how to cook that. Like, we don't even know what rutabagas are or whatever, yeah. you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, because that's not within their culture usually to eat that type of food or even like with sweets and stuff, like they don't really like understand what the dentist was talking about you know so they're not even aware that the child has cavities because that dentist didn't speak spanish <laughs> yeah. and so they didn't yeah. even understand the visit in the first place yeah. but yeah so that's pretty awesome cool yeah that's yeah i did i didn't know about that through, uh, in the public school systems but that's really cool it's a non-profit i work for head start head start program. okay yeah Cool. They do a lot of stuff. It's pretty awesome. I was actually talking to David earlier today that working for Head Start kind of made me realize how much the regular public school system is lacking. Because <laughs> yeah. we do a lot more stuff with the families than, than I did when oh, I I see. for public school system. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, so... With everything that's going on with the pandemic and also with the protests that are going on, I wanted to kind of get your perspective as far as, you know, preventative care goes and all of that on what you think, I guess, people should be doing or maybe like how you feel about people going out and protesting in super large groups during the COVID pandemic. Yeah, that, that, that's a really great question. And it's... um. 
a complicated one too, um, just because there's so many angles. But my personal perspective um, um, is that, yeah, people should stay at home as much as possible just so we don't spread uh, COVID because there has been a lot of uh, deaths and, and hospitalization due to it. And a lot of it has been with uh, minority minority families or those that fall into the lower socioeconomic spectrum. So that that's the number one. But but the number two thing that I would like to bring up with regards to this is the acknowledging the reasons why these people were protesting in the first place. You know, um, the, I think the protests uh, were were because of police brutality, uh, the systematic racism in our society. And I think the third and the one that's often overlooked is the, the spike of un unemployment, a lot of unemployment claims, a lot of unemployment. So when you mix all this together, I think that that's the real ish issue when we see the numbers, at least here in the West Coast with Oregon, Washington, California spiking up. I think a lot of people in the next few weeks will try to blame it on the mass gatherings on the protests. And, and I'm, I mean, there's truth to that as well. But in addition, I don't want it that to take it away from the overall big issue with regards to police brutality and systemic uh, racism. Because with systemic racism, you can see it fall into healthcare as well. So as as much as like like this is a very complicated uh, topic. Like I do want to acknowledge uh, the reasons why. The protest took place. So you don't want like the the pandemic, I guess, to take away from like the meaning and like the attention that the actual issue of systemic racism and police brutality should have. <laughs> sure, sure. Yep, yep, yep. I think overall. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I think overall, uh, I think people should should just be careful. You know, uh, be careful. Like for example. Um, I was at the protest as well, because I believe that there is um, some things that need to be improved. But uh, I did take precaution, like with regards to face masks, um, ensuring that everything was that that, that I could do everything possible to avoid a, a contagion. And I know that a lot of people there, I think, I would say like eighty or ninety percent. We're also wearing face masks um, as well. So, yeah, I saw this article today that said that I don't know what it's called. It's like something clippers or something cuts. It's like a hair salon, I guess, that they had um, a lot of employees that tested positive for COVID, and so everyone was worried that it was going to be like um, like another surge, I guess, in in the pandemic because they had had a lot of customers coming in and. There was a lot of people working there, so they're like, oh my gosh, everyone's going to have um, COVID now. But um, I guess none of the people that, none of the customers that came in tested positive because they have like a face mask requirement. So uh, all of the customers that came in and all the employees were all wearing masks when this was going on. And so I guess it worked because none of the customers got COVID. <laughs> so... It seems like the masks work, like even if you're kind of in a close proximity to to people, like if you're at the protest or something, as long as everyone is wearing them. 
Yeah. So I know that you mentioned something a little while ago about like systemic racism within the healthcare field. So I just wanted to see if you knew of like racial disparities or um, anything like that within the healthcare system. Yeah, I think th there's there's a lot of disparities. Um, I think you can just look up like the most common, for, for example, for like Hispanic. I know that diabetes is very prevalent in the, that community, and a lot of it has to do, as we mentioned earlier, because there's uh, communication gaps or cultural barrier gaps uh, between that are not being addressed correctly. That's one. Um, I think a lot of it is just uh, cultural awareness. For example, we met with this um, lady, her name was Fatima, right? and she comes from a Muslim background and she was explained that, you know, she was getting nutrition advice um, from a provider and uh, the following months with Ramadan, Ramadan for those that don't know is um, it's a whole month of fasting for people that are uh, Muslims. And the doctor was giving her like a lot of recommendations for like next month, but the, the provider, the doc doctor felt to recognize that, you know, she's not going to eat during the whole day because of, you know, her religion. So, so that happens often. I think another thing that happens often is like, I know hearing stories of a Japanese patient that, that thought that people were upset at him because when he got to the clinic, because everything was like done very fast and just that atmosphere of like brisk efficiency rather than welcoming and politeness kind of discouraged him from visiting the doctors again because he felt unwelcome in that environment, you know? And like also for other minority groups, um, um, such as those that belong to the LGBTQ community, um, many times they refuse services just because of, you know, they're trans or they're, they're, uh, they're LGBTQ, you know? And a lot of these doctors um, just, just deny them. Um, that, that's some cases, I think with medications, we pain medications, we hear this a, a lot with, um, again, with Hispanics and African-Americans, like the doctors won't give pain medications away until like the pain is too much. Whereas if there is a Caucasian patient, they would give them like immediately without question. So that happens a lot. Um. And that's like just, the fear that they're trying to like abuse it or something, right? Like they're assuming yeah. that you're trying to abuse the drug or something. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's again with the biases. Yep. That, that's what it comes down to stereotypes. Yep. Yeah. I know David hates going to the doctor because he always feels like they never help him. <laughs> yeah, they never Google more help with me, honestly. <laughs> At least the doctors I've had. Yeah. I know when we were in California, I. Like, I, I forgot what it's called already, but it's like this thing where, like, my vocal cords get, like, really irritated and they just, like, freak out and close and then I can't breathe. Um, so that happened to me and it was happening, it's been happening for years, right? But when I would go to the doctor in California and ask them about it, they would always just tell me that, like, oh, you're probably choking and, like, you just think you can't breathe or... Like you start choking and maybe you're panicking and so then like you feel like you can't breathe and I was like, no, I'm pretty sure I'm not breathing. Like, <laughs> like I don't think I'm just like making it up or like exaggerating what's happening. 
But that's how they always responded when I went to the doctor before. And then when we came here, I went to the doctor because it was happening a lot. Like, I remember David was like, like worried, like what the heck, like what's wrong with you? <laughs> because it was happening a lot where like I was like not being able to breathe. So I went to the doctor and then she was like, oh yeah, like let me like do this test and like, we'll stick a camera down your throat and like see if there's anything wrong or something's going on and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> You're actually going to do something? Yeah. <laughs> but no. yeah, so that's how I found out that apparently my vocal cords closed and then I can't breathe. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I'm sure that happens probably across the board with minorities. And that's true that you brought up the LGBTQ because I I didn't really think about that, I guess, that they probably get biases towards them as well. Yeah. So now with all of that, I guess, in mind, and then keeping in mind that usually public school systems or even like um, programs like the one that I work for, usually mm -hmm. it's minorities and, um, you know, the general public, I guess, that receive services from these institutions. So like, usually it's um, minorities and people of low socioeconomic status that are going to public schools right and it's like the rich white people that go to private schools but mm -hmm. do you think that within public education they're adequately addressing preventative health care um so I, I think from my perspective and, and again I don't know too much about the public education system aside from uh, attending attending public education. Um, but I, I think I know that one big area where they could improve with preventative health and services uh, or preventative health in general is um, they're, they're the food. I remember the food um, uh, and especially for the like the lower income um, students or students from uh, lower status communities uh, a lot of the students depend on school food for for you know for breakfast and for their lunch and i feel that a lot of the times all this stuff are processed foods and i i think i was reading somewhere once where it's all based on economics right it's all based on the per unit for how much it costs for students and i think i think um that they pay more for people that are in prisons for the meals that people are in prisons than they do for the people that are in or the kids that are in school so i think that there's something wrong with that yeah yeah, and, yeah that's a whole yeah. other topic right there yeah <laughs> a whole episode from yeah, prison <laughs> prison compared to school yeah, yeah i remember when i worked um for the los angeles unified school district I was a preschool teacher and part of like our our practices or like the curriculum I guess is to get the kids to try new foods and to like be aware of what they're eating but it was all the school food <laughs> and then part of that was that all of the teachers had to eat the same food like with the kids alongside mm -hmm. the kids so that they see you eating it and you're like modeling it for them and then it gets them to eat too oh. but I remember we were always like what is this? Like, I don't even like 
I don't like we didn't even want to eat it because it was like <laughs> like this packaged thing that they just like threw into like the little ovens that they had in the kitchen and then it's still like wrapped in like the plastic and everything like when when you gave it to the students and stuff and it was always like really weird yeah super process <laughs> yeah wow that's another thing i guess about where i work at now it's all like fresh like made food where i work at right now which is pretty awesome yeah that's really cool yeah mm -hmm. yeah and i know that they adhere by like certain guidelines and stuff like they can't make food that produces like oils or something like that i don't know I don't know enough about food. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but yeah. Anyways, yeah, definitely the foods. Um, and then also, I, don't know, I feel like my, like, physical education wasn't very, like, like, thorough, I guess. I didn't really <laughs> learn anything about, like, what I should, like, obviously it's like, you should exercise, but that was pretty much it. Yeah. Well, I don't know. That's different. They need, like, a whole curriculum to breach the kids, I guess. I don't know. But they make you work out for two years, I think, right? At least in California. I think the first two yeah. years of high school, you had to be in PE. Then after that, it was up to you if you wanted to take the sport. Yeah, but I don't remember actually learning anything about physical health. You just learned. You learned how to run a mile. Yeah. Pretty <laughs> 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 I remember that. You learned how to, like like catch a pass for basketball because if they passed it to me it was like extra points because none of the girls ever wanted to play mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty much it yeah. i'm assuming like with the with your app it's like does it address stuff for like kids too or is it just for adults at the moment, it's just for adults. There's different laws and regulations for anyone in, under 18. So we're, we're not there yet, but yeah, it's for, for the parents. Maybe in the future, it could be like a, like you guys could make a, a some sort of like healthcare curriculum or something and collaborate with schools so that they can teach it. Yeah, that would be cool. That's where you get the government books. Rich. <laughs> yeah. And then no one will care if your last name is Michaels or yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> so that time I'll have a whole different name. Call me boss. Michael. Mr. Boss. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking of David. David. David's a nice. This <laughs> <laughs> My first, my first name and middle names are, are pretty bad. I guess what David's with Jewish. Well, it's from the Bible. Yeah. There's a lot of Hispanics that are named David because it's yeah. from the Bible. And then my middle name is Ivan, so I don't know where that came from. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I guess what we have you here. This is kind of like random out of left field, <laughs> but just while we have you here and we have the opportunity to prick your brain. And we did um, other interviews with other entrepreneurs. And I feel like it's one of those things where um, a lot of people maybe think about doing entrepreneurship or like they have an idea of something that they want to try out, but then they don't know how to do it. Or they don't know anyone that's ever done it before. So whenever I have an entrepreneur here, I take that 
opportunity to kind of ask you questions about it <laughs> just in case anyone is listening who might find that helpful I guess but um for you you know like looking back at your entrepreneurial journey is there any mistakes that you made that like you feel like if you told people like they might be able to avoid them <laughs> mistakes yeah yeah I, th- I think yeah mistakes I-, I learned those early on I think I was really young when I learned them um so the first mistake I learned and I think is really important for anyone that's looking to start a company or go into business um so I think I was like 20 at the time I was still in college and I always loved business uh, so I wanted to get into business I remember I was a hard worker so I saved up a certain amount of money at that time and I took out a private student loan so I was thinking and I'm like you know I'm going to invest in a company like in a local company right here in Portland so I ended up taking all the money and I, I ended up you know, looking for companies to invest or companies that were being sold. And I used this website called businesssell.com. Uh, this was a while back. I think it still exists. And, you know, everyone had their companies there for sale. So I would contact, you know, the ones I was interested in. And I remember I wanted to buy this, this hair salon on 23rd. It's called Legends. And he was asking for 120000 donor, right? Uh, there was no way I had that much money. So I reached out to him. I met up with him. And at the end of our meetings, I told him, hey, I don't have this this much money, but this is what I have. Or would you be interested in working something out? And he, he said no at, at, at that time. And so it didn't work out. And then another week passed by and he called me back. And he's like, you know, I was thinking about your offer and I have this other company. It's a towing truck. A mechanic shop here on 53rd and Powell, you know, by the Burger King, there was this mechanic shop and he's like, I think you should invest in that. Uh, I'll take the money that you have and I'll give you, you know, 30% of the company. And I'm like, I was really happy and excited. So I'm like, all right, let's do it. So we signed this quick paperwork. Um, I should have done more due diligence, more research. I didn't cause I was young and naive. And to make long story short, Number one thing I messed up, I didn't do enough due diligence. So he was uh, doing really bad economically and he brought me in so I could solve it, which was a very, pretty much an impossible task. So that's that's the number one mistake I made. The number two mistake, which is the most important and what I want to get to is that, that we had different values. We had different value system. We saw the world differently. We had different core values. And I think in any relationship or any, in any partnership, I think that's really important. You, you have to have like similar values. Like for example, um, some people value money more than honesty. Other people value honesty more than money. And if those, like, if those values are not aligned, then there's going to be so much uh, headbutts, headaches, and eventually things won't work out. And that's uh, essentially what happened with, with our, our company. Um, we just started getting in a lot of arguments. And he was much older than me, so I think he was like in his mid-40s. So there wasn't much I could do. Yeah. Probably one of those things where he thinks he's smarter than you or has some sort of authority because yeah. he's older. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely gotta do your research. Well, that's good, yeah. You do do it. I know who you're going into business. Yeah, like, Core Valley, that's a good one, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, like, mm-hmm. you know them, you can't just be like, yeah, they seem yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta yeah, really that's... dig deep, I guess. Yeah. But that's true. That goes for any relationship, too, not just business partnership. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then also, um, do you have any advice other than those mistakes that you made? Do you have any advice that you might want to give someone who is maybe just barely thinking about it, but maybe feeling overwhelmed or maybe feeling like they have no idea what they are doing or what they need to do or like it's not possible or something? Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think the number one advice I would give if I were to do everything over again would be to get like like an advisor or a mentor uh, that has done it before, like that has done what you want to do and that's willing to give up their time so they can teach you. I think if you can find an advisor, then you're pretty much pretty much set. Uh, for example, if you want to open up a restaurant, uh, like let's say a Mexican restaurant, uh, and you know, like let's say someone that has already done that and expanded a Mexican restaurant and has done it from scratch, and maybe they're old at this time and you ask them, hey, I'm really passionate about opening a restaurant. This is the foods I make. Would you be willing to advise me once or twice per month, one hour or two hours? And usually a lot of these people are open to it because they're just giving back at this point of their life. Uh, if you can get that, then I think that would make your life so much easier because you're not trying to figure out everything on your own, but you're leveraging someone else's experience and knowledge so you can grow, I think. That, 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 that would be my advice to anyone that's starting off. And then to find someone, you would just like, so like, like networking. just go up to people and ask yeah, them? networking, or? go find them on LinkedIn. You know, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Or you could yep. like a startup weekend <laughs> yeah. like we mm-hmm. volunteered for. You were yep. one of the mentors, right? At the startup weekend? I, I was, yeah. I was one of the coaches. And yeah, I think startup weekend is a great place because I know Juan has connections to other people in the city. And a lot of those people that are giving back at this moment are, are retired people or people that have done it before. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, networking. I think that's probably like I always undervalued networking. I was like, eh, I don't need to ask people. <laughs> and like, I've always boring. been like, I don't know, like I can do it myself type of thing. But I think it is. You can, but it'll be easier. Yeah. Never. Unless. Less learning from your mistakes, probably. (laughs) But yeah, that's. I think that's all the questions I have. Do you have any questions, David? Uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So, other than that, do you want to let people know how or where they can find more information about Camino Care? Sure. Yeah. Um. They can log into our website, CaminoCare.com, or they can go into the Apple Store or Android store and type Camino Care, and you'll find our apps there. Is the app um, free or do you have to buy the app? Uh, the app is free to download, so you can download it, take a scroll at it, look at the different providers. But if you want a consultation, then yeah, they charge. I think some of our services start at $39 per hour. So some are um, cheaper and others 
like the doctor visits are almost $99 per hour. Okay. Okay. All right, so you can get it for free and then just look around, see if you want to try it. Yeah, <laughs> yep, yep. That's mm -hmm. awesome. Well, thank you so much for giving us your time and being here and answering our questions. Yeah, Hebrews, nice talking to you, man. Yeah, thanks a lot, David and Sandra. I appreciate um, you guys taking the time to interview me and for inviting me. Thank you. Right, thanks, man. Thanks for coming. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. All right. All right, bye. Bye. Have a good day. Bye. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to our episode with Heber. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I think that <laughs> I think that again is a thought provoking conversation, especially if you are a white person or even any person in the medical field or healthcare field. Things to kind of keep in mind yeah. that maybe you're overlooking, possibly. <laughs> no, it, it is good advice. You have to kind of, I know it's a lot too. It's a lot more extra work mm -hmm. when you have multiple different cultures you're working with. Like, I, yeah. I get, but yeah. Even for me as a teacher, it's, yeah, it's exactly. a lot harder because you have to. Like kind of learn different languages or yeah, the basics of them. Different religions, different traditions. But yeah. But, but it is very important. And it does, and it help, does make exactly. a difference because you really are trying to like reach out to people and make sure to get them to come into your office or whatever and make sure yeah. that they don't feel like David where they think that you're worthless and they hate you. <laughs> I don't even have to do with the culture thing, honestly. That's just something else. But <laughs> I think it does because in the Hispanic culture, usually you don't go into the doctor. Like, I don't yeah. remember my parents ever being like, we should go to the doctor and get you a checkup. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was always like, well, just put duct tape over it or something. <laughs> you know? So I think it is the cultural thing where they kind of have to win us over, if that makes any sense. And dismissing us when we're telling you that something's I think wrong that's the issue, is dismissing. not going to win <laughs> us over. <laughs> it's just going to, like, feed into this idea that we have that, we don't need doctors or that we need to be self-sufficient, I guess. Yeah. Or that they won't understand us or we won't understand them. But yeah, anyways, so if you are a healthcare provider, please make sure to take a good long look in the mirror and see if you are doing any of these things that we just talked about. <laughs> yeah. What well, does it matter if you want to be a I would say if you want to be a good doctor and reach out, yeah. then you should. If you don't care, which is a paycheck. If then... you don't care, then you should just not be a doctor. Nah, it's a nice paycheck. I don't blame them. So. That's a lot of freaking student loans and stuff, though, to be in yeah. a job that you don't even care enough about to like actually do it right. That's like, what, eight, ten years of school? That's a sweet loan. That's a sweet paycheck, though, every week. I guess. <laughs> All right. anyways thank you so much for listening and hopefully you will come back and listen again next week if you have any suggestions any feedback complaints or anything you can find us mm -hmm. on social media we have an instagram facebook snapchat and twitter and also a tiktok now um all under the name on campus with miss t and
And we also have a website, David. Uh, on on campuspodcast.com. Yes. Or, yeah. Dot com. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if you're listening to us now, then obviously you already know how to find our podcast. But you can listen to our podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and CastBox. If there is a um, podcast streaming service that you want us to get on or something, just reach out to us and let us know. So that David, David's <laughs> shaking his head. <laughs> so that David can apply to get us onto that streaming service as well. I know that there are others, but like, I don't I even know. I think we have the popular We have the ones. main ones, I guess. Yeah. But I know that there are, I think like Stitcher or something is one, right? I don't know. I, I think Stitcher is one. Yeah. I, I, I know there are other ones. So if you prefer to listen on some other streaming service that we don't know about or that we're not on let us know so that we can try and figure that out um yeah thank you so much for listening and hopefully you will listen again next week Bye. see you